Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. I'm Michael Curzon and Sam and Luke are both away this week. Sam is off uh, gallivanting in Cornwall actually for a, for a few weeks and Luke is working but you'll be you'll be more than pleased to to hear who we've got on the episode today and that is William Clouston, the leader of the SDP. William, thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks, it's great to be here. Thanks Michael. Excellent. Well, I, we were saying just before we started recording, um, and regular listeners of the show will know this, that while we used to bring, um, say, three or four subjects to the show and discuss them for 15 or 20 minutes each, in recent weeks it's been quite difficult to do that. And uh, the episodes have normally focused on one topic, and there's, there's no prizes for guessing that one this week. It is, of course, Russia-Ukraine. And I think one of the one of the biggest subjects that's come out of that in recent days has been the idea, very much pushed for by Ukrainian President uh, Zelensky, of a no-fly zone over Ukraine. So, if we could start by talking about that, because um, you've been quite, you've been quite vocal about this. It's, it's, it seems one of the latest examples of one of those calls we were discussing before, where it's, it's viewed that we have to do something, we have to act. Um, and therefore, when a suggestion is brought forward, rather than consider the pros and cons, consider how practical it is or what the consequences might be, we instead run with it. And especially in the sort of social media age, it's quite easy to run with it. Mm. Um, but you've been quite sceptical and rightly so of the, the no fly zone. So I wondered if if you give us an impression, first of all, of your sort of your general thoughts around the no fly zone and, and the, the problems which are being overlooked in the discussion around it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I, I was actually quite surprised that, that the that you know ostensibly you know serious political figures, you know, David Davis, um, Tobias Elwood, who chairs the Commons um, Defence Committee, and one or two other Tory MPs were were suggesting this. Um, it's it's an astonishing suggestion to make. Um, I mean, it, uh, we can talk about the details of what a no-fly zone is a bit later, but basically I, I felt I had to speak up about it. And um, <clears throat> I did an interview with uh, Talk Radio on Julie Hartley Brewer's programme to discuss it. And I was on just after Ben Wallace, actually. But you, and, and, and happily for the moment, actually, pe people, this idea was suggested and then, you know, reality dawned. What, what were we talking about? What, what, what were the implications of this? It's one of these things you say, it's easy to suggest. And then it usually it takes the sort of social media Twitterati to consider it. About, about a day later, you can see that it's a really daft idea. And um, all, I, all I had, all I wanted to do was to, to make four points, which were basically what, what, what is a no-fly zone likely to do? What, 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 is, what are the implications of it? And I, 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 my four points were that um, I think it was obvious that it was it would it would have the effect of of escalating uh, and widening the war. So there's no doubt at all that it widens the war. You, you know, the war is appalling. Um, I, I made the point that any morally competent person uh, would would find uh, Putin's decision to go in in the way he's done and so on utterly reprehensible. Yeah. The Ukrainian people are paying the price, but the war at the at present is is in a single theatre. It's a colossal country, twice the size of France, but it's it's in Ukraine. That's it. Mm. Now, you start trying to prosecute no-fly zones in that theatre, 
and you immediately widen it. Why? Because where are the where where is the air superiority coming from? The it's coming from NATO bases in Romania, Bulgaria, and Poland. So you immediately bring those bases into the conflict. So that I don't think you can propose this without acknowledging that you widen and escalate the war. That was the first point I made. A very very dangerous thing to do. Second point, uh, which is a point that Aris Risnos made in Unheard in a good piece, which is that you you also intensify the war. Yeah. <laughs> because um, you, in other words, whatever Russia and Putin are trying to achieve on the ground, um, the, the reaction would be to intensify it. Mm. Uh, I made the point on, on, on the interview at Tor Radio that in truth, I'm, you know, you can't, it, what, what they're doing is indefensible, but they haven't ramped up. I mean, they, they haven't, the Russians have barely used uh, the air superiority that they have. Yeah. Their fast jets, they've barely used. Mm. Attack helicopters, barely used. Now, I can't think that you, NATO's intervention would do anything but intensify and up the stakes. And so Putin's capacity to commit atrocities would just be heightened. So I think that again is a, I just think it's undeniable it would intensify the war. Um, a third point I made, which is a sort of technical one, really a legal one, which is I think it probably also breaches NATO's mandate. Um, you know, it's obvious after the Bucharest uh, NATO summit some, some decade and a half ago that NATO, many in NATO wanted Ukraine to be a member, but it's not a member. It's not a member of NATO, and therefore, actually, NATO intervening and attacking outside its uh, perimeter probably breaches breaches its mandate. It's, it's defensive. It's set up as a defensive alliance, and and you can't Article Five doesn't apply because a NATO member hasn't been attacked. No. So that's a, that's a, that's the third point, and the fourth point is actually the biggest one of all, um, although the probability is probably lower, but the I can't think that NATO getting involved uh, doesn't increase the prospect of, of nuclear weapons being used. I just can't, even if it goes up from a 2% to a 5% probability or a 5 to a 10%, uh, there are a lot of people who say flat that Putin, if pushed, if backed into a corner, would use nuclear weapons, yeah. tactical or otherwise. So yeah. that's, I just don't, I, I honestly, I think the people that, were proposing it hadn't thought it through they didn't really know what a no-fly zone was or what it entailed because there are lots of different aspects as mm. i said air to air ground mm. to air all of those things uh in ukraine and outside ukraine so i i just think crazy idea and i was glad to lend my voice uh to, to opposing it absolutely well it's the nuclear point the last point is quite an interesting one because we've we've seen a parallel i think where the calls for a no-fly zone appear to have really been pushed, to have heightened after the, the point about the, the nuclear risk with Putin was highlighted. So we had commentators first suggest um, after, the, after the nuclear risk was, was, was raised in, in Russia um, that this might turn into World War Three. it's going to be nuclear, it's going to be dreadful. And then the next minute, rather than say, right, we need to try and de-escalate here, we need to engage in talks, we've got all sorts of people, um, and as you say, previously quite sound commentators, 
suggesting instead that we escalate the situation, that we um, implement a no-fly zone, that we don't back down because Putin is evil, therefore we can't discuss anything, which mm. it makes it really quite difficult to find a way out um, if you're if you're telling people not to negotiate. I mean, even the US was suggesting near the beginning, I'm not sure yeah. on the update today, but I, they were in the first few days at least, were trying to tell Ukraine not to engage in talks with Russia, um, at least until certain scenarios have been met, which I thought was was just silly. Surely any no. opportunity for talk should be should be grasped at as soon as possible. Because as you yes, said, I mean, it's a horrible thing yeah, but, that you want to end. Obviously, yeah. No, I think that's just, that's the, those are the basics. Um, yeah. And actually, on you know, on social media, when I when I when I spoke against you know no-fly zones and military intervention by NATO, and I called for de-escalation, you know, I got quite a lot of kickback. Some from you know people that that, that I know and respect, but and they were saying, you know, who are you telling to to, to de-escalate? You know, um, well, obviously you want Putin to de-escalate, but it's our job is not to. I mean, part of de-escalation is not to escalate actually yeah. that's yeah. that's that's don't you know don't do anything that that that, that will add to the, the fire and extend and widen the the conflict I, I i do i again i think people need to it's not just military his, history but history in general mm. people have to be aware of um i it's not quite often in history it's not quite it's not so much the event the initial spark the event that causes a a series of, 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 of reactions and other uh, events. It's it is those reactions. It's how you deal with what's happened. And uh, the analogy I used was it was a sort of forest fire. You know, the 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 match. If you don't have breaks, the match burn the whole forest down, and it just spreads. And so, you know, you could you could you could. There are lots of examples, but the the. The example that you might use is, is you know, uh, some you know Archduke Ferdinand getting shot in Sarajevo, and then, and then if you take a snapshot, five years later, eighteen million people are dead. Yeah. Um, and it and it just these things just happen. Another more more recent example which I used on social media, which I just to point out the facts, <clears throat> and I'm not. I mean, I'm bitterly opposed to the neocons. Right? The neocon interventions. Have been utterly disastrous and i opposed them at the time mm. even though even when actually it was a very much a minority yeah position but but yeah i mean 9 11 uh you know on the uh, brutal as it was shocking as it was game changing as it was 9 11 you know just short of three thousand people lost their lives twenty five thousand people were injured yeah but the reaction to it and i know you know it's counterfactual history now so you're it's very complex but the but on what actually happened in this world was that the reaction to it the chain of um uh, decisions and events that uh, bush and blair took after that um recorded pretty close to a million deaths um you know our, the lancet report in iraq counted 650,000 deaths excess deaths and the the estimates in afghanistan are range from high 100,000s to uh, 200,000 plus. Um, and, and I just think, so I just wouldn't, I would just, it was just a warning really. I would, I don't have any faith in, in our, the people that govern us 
uh, and elites and human beings, I suppose, and more generally getting it right. I think you're, 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 you're more likely to, to get it wrong. I don't think there's any, I, in fact, I think it's not a popular thing to say, but I think the, the, the policy, the post, the post 1990, post Cold War policy of expansion, uh, both the EU and NATO, um, you know, uh, has, has certainly, you could certainly make a case for overreach, not, not necessarily in the states that are in NATO itself, but the Bucharest conference, when they were talking about Georgia and Ukraine joining, yeah um you know pretty very very shortly after you know georgia was involved in a a serious uh you know conflict where russia invaded and and i you know there seems to be an inability to think in sort of strategic geopolitical terms properly seriously about the things uh, i don't you don't have to accept this as a as a narrative as a theory but certainly there are respectable academics that are saying that you know, the NATO's and the EU's quest to have Ukraine under its wing as a Western democracy in NATO, you know, has cost, has cost, the, cost Russia as a potential ally against China strategically. I mean, you know, you, that is the cost. I mean, you could argue that that's the cost, mm. as well as tragedy of the war itself. So I don't, I just don't have a great deal of faith in, 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 in those that govern us getting it right necessary that's why i spoke up yeah i think you made a really interesting point when talking about iraq um where you were in a minority position at the time as you say whereas many commentators suggest now and it's, it's quite clear it's difficult to find people who are still very much in favor of events in iraq um one of the points that, that springs to mind with this as well we've just we're just coming out of the sort of covid lockdown era um mm. and now while most commentators at the beginning were quite accepting of a lot of what happened most people were there is now a bit of, of questioning going on with this we now say well maybe we locked down a bit too hard maybe we were a bit too heavy on this maybe the evidence on masks wasn't too strong and it it seemed there was a bit of a change in the narrative um essentially to say let's be a bit more questioning we won't we won't swallow this all next time. And then mm. the crisis with, with Ukraine and Russia hit, and all of that was, was thrown out of the window. We'd been talking weeks before about taking things steadily, about reviewing the facts and scrutinizing official narratives. And yet here we are, all of a sudden, um, we've been, it, it's almost like we've been swept by emotion. It, it's- Yeah, yeah, well, I, I... Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, again, you, you had an interesting piece in the Express about uh, attacks against uh, 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 an international school in Berlin. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a good piece. And I think it, it needs saying, again, you've got to hold the line on, on this. Um, you know, you, you, won't get, you will not get a more patriotic party than the SDP. And I, I don't, you, you know, but you've got to, when, when you're in among war fever, Mm. and irrationality is spreading and due process is being put out at, at the window uh, and any Russian is being sanctioned because they're Russian. Yeah. I think you've got to speak up against it because, you know, this is, this is you know, why should a tennis player not be able to play tennis? Yeah. Because they have to be Russian. I mean, you know, as if, as if every Russian believes and supports 
what Vladimir Putin is doing. Mm. Um, you know, again, I've heard some really absurd comments by some politicians, particularly on the Labour side, you know, argue, you know saying, you know, X number, you know, 25,000 homes are owned by Russians in London, these should be taken. So what are you talking about? You know, they're not all oligarchs, some are. Mm. Oli if, if it was wrong, if, 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 if we're in March and it's, it's right to take an oligarch's uh, ill-gotten gains now, it was right in December last year. Mm. I mean, you know, it, 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 you're, but this is, this, is, this is what you're up against. I think, you know, the inability of people to distinguish between what a state does and what individuals do. I, you know, we, we, I, I know some people, um, you know, who, who are suffering the, the effects of this now. You know, and, and, and having to consider moving uh, jurisdiction, it's very, very difficult for everyone. But you, you've got to hold on to uh, to some reason. And I, but it, again, it's nothing. This is nothing new. People in in these in these war hysteria uh, times, it's the job actually of, of 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 responsible politicians to be temperate. I think. Yeah. And, and hold on, not only to reason, but sort of to basic humanity. I mean, you talk yeah. about not all, not all Russians supporting uh, Putin's invasion. I think you could even extend that to uh, plenty of Russian soldiers. And in fact, we've seen quite a lot of reports of that. We've got to of course. understand that a lot of, a lot of those in Ukraine uh, are conscripts, quite young as well, um, with perhaps... Uh, you know, not not too much choice about what they're doing. Yet you have figures who have you know massive platforms, really, such as Jeremy Vine on TV, saying that they deserve to die. And when I was when, appalled, I was utterly appalled. Oh, it was shocking. Yeah, in fact, high, I, I, I was wondering. You know, you've got these, and I think we all have to be. I mean, one thing we should be careful of, and I, I'm very careful of it, is don't don't like or retweet. Uh, you know, just just a, 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 a video, of a clip of something. It's not very. It could be from anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it could be if it's on Twitter. It could <laughs> be in any conflict in the last yeah. twenty years. You know, you just not, don't know. So, not even yeah. conflicts. I saw one clip taken from a video game, which was claimed to be uh, involved in the Russia-Ukraine conflict, and it was it was yeah. taken by by media reports. And it took quite yeah. a while for someone to say, "No, this is a flight simulator. This is yes." And it, and by by then, but the, by, by the time they corrected it, it's around the world. Like yeah, no, I I agree. But when I saw that actually, Jeremy Vine, I thought, "Is that a deep fake? How mm. on earth? What? How mm. could you say that? Mm. That's that is someone's son. You know, these kids, as you say, they're they're eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old. Yeah, they've been lied to about the purpose of the intervention. Yeah, um, some of them are." you know, a, a, a short of food, morale is low. Um, uh, and Jeremy Vine's quite happy for them to be shut up. It's, it's, it's appalling. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I, again, I, I'm not a pacifist. I, 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 I accept the, 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 you've got to fight occasionally. And I'm very, very pro strong defense, yeah. but I'm very anti-war. I mm. think people, people, ought to read a little bit about what war is actually like. One thing that I think, I think I've, I've said this before, actually, I, I, um, Burns's wonderful 20 hour documentary, The Vietnam War, mm. Ken Burns, uh, you know, 30, 40 million pounds worth of 
of, of documentary making. Mm. And it's just a top bit of journalism. It's just, it's in depth and it takes history seriously. It takes accounts, commentary from both sides, all sides in the war seriously. And I think that should be compulsory viewing yeah. for every, not, not just sort of potential policymakers, but every sixth former. Mm. Because I think you can't watch that without a realizing the horrors of war, but also understanding the escalation. And I mean, a, you know, a politician I have, you know, huge respect for, uh, you know, JFK, you know, knowingly got dragged into this. Was warned, was told that you couldn't win it, and it told that you know, there's one uh, dispatch to JFK early on saying these people hate us. Mm. You, can't, you can't possibly win a war. And the, the Vietnamese were fighting. The, the you know the the, the intellect the sort of um, ideological element was not the primary element. The no. primary element was nationalism. They didn't want the French there, and they didn't want the uh, the Americans there, and they wanted them out of their country, and that's what prevailed. Um, but you know, two million people lost their lives. Two million Vietnamese, and you know, sixty five thousand Americans. It's a complete disaster. Mm. No, absolutely. I think one of the other main issues we've seen with a lot of the commentary, whether it be from politicians or, or journalists or press, is, and I noticed you commented on this the other day as well, actually, um, is on sort of the successes of both the Russian and the Ukraine uh, sides in the war. Yeah. And I think yeah. this, is, this is a problem not only because the truth is important, it's something that we should try and value, but also because it really changes our um, perception, one of how well things are going, of, of how mm. serious events are. I mean, for example, it, it seems to me that the, any successes of, of Ukrainian forces um, have been uh, on a number of occasions exaggerated and any failures of Russian forces have numerous times been um, exaggerated as well. So we, we see all the yeah. time clips of, of um, tanks or military vehicles which have been left behind. And we hear a lot about pushbacks. And this, of course, I'm not suggesting that it, this shouldn't be exaggerated because it's not a good thing. Um, I think um, it's, it's, it's encouraging to see how brave and determined um, a lot of Ukrainian people have been. And not Ukrainian forces necessarily, but Ukrainian people who have just stayed behind. But I think one of the, one of the main problems I find with this is that you know, I, my feeling is that Kiev will be taken quite soon from my, this is my basic understanding of it. I admit that I'm, I'm ignorant, not only of, of uh, military tactics and also the history of, of uh, Russia and Ukraine, but I've been um, trying as much as possible to read the accounts of people who are there, people who are more in the know and who understand these things. And, and they all seem to have the, the impression um, Russia is doing rather better than we might think. And the problem I, that I gather from this is that if we're led to believe for all this time, Ukraine will win, Russia will fall, Putin will fall, but then that doesn't happen and Ukraine is, is the one that falls, then that might lead in the West to a greater call for sort of NATO to get involved because we'll be shocked by it. We'll say, oh, well, we've got to do something then. Quickly, we've got to get in, which is why I'm quite worried about the rhetoric as i say not just because it's not necessarily true but because it might lead to worse consequences and people calling for greater involvement further down the line yeah no i think that's that's a really good observation because i think 
what again naturally what's happening truth is the first casualty of war so i i think a lot of it is you you just have no idea I mean, it's a vast country you don't know what's going on um you know the, the small number of events and things that are on a screen and are shared are a tiny proportion of, of what is happening in that yeah. country yeah um so but you're you're quite right i sense a large sort of dollop of wishful thinking depending on sort of your your outlook in it you you want the Ukrainians to be doing well. You want the hmm. Russians to be bogged down, and you know. But again, it's just you know on mathematics. If there's a picture of a Russian tank or a uh, you know a rocket launcher bogged down, that's one. I mean, how many they got? Yeah. Tens of thousands, loads. I mean, so it doesn't. You know, it's it's one event. You there's a tendency to sort of you know you want to, you want to see what you want to see, and the, um, and I agree. And I think the, the the point you made at the end there was actually your only chance of getting to a a, you know, a well-considered position on this is if you see it as it is, yeah. not as you wish it were. You know, you're not. You, it's, it's pointless to 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 want. You might wish the, you know, the Russians hadn't taken basically the Donbass and the whole of the area contiguous from from um, Crimea round there. I mean, I I before this started speaking to people in Russia, I I I thought, well, that's what the aim is isn't it a limited aim they've already got that yeah you know they they you know you could argue they, they if that was a, a an aim they've they've done it i mean they were agitating and they they were in there anyway so yeah i mean i think that's that 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 is a major risk in these conflicts people people are inclined to to see what they want to see and um and i, I just don't think we can know i i, I don't and yeah. as to us to you know putin falling and things i i think um i think it probably is. I don't, again, we don't know. One other thing, Michael, I think we should acknowledge, and I think it's as it's as well to put your, you know, to acknowledge it front, is that we can't. You can't get into no matter how much you read, you can't get into the mindset of of a, of a Russian or Ukrainian person because you're not Russian or Ukrainian. No. <laughs> you can't. I often say, you know, so so how would you know how how would a, how would you try and explain in the British Isles? How would you try and explain antagonism between Irish people and English people or Scots and English people to to someone from South Korea yeah quite difficult and, yeah. it, and, and, and in a sense they can you could read about it and read it but you couldn't feel it you couldn't you couldn't feel it so I, I just don't I wouldn't even try to get underneath that you can't one but one basic thing I think we're missing is that um, you know the, the again the goody and the baddie thing there's a ten rather weird tendency now to wash over some of Ukraine's problems as a state. I mean, if you look at Transparency International, well before they started, and you look at the extent to which Ukraine is corrupt or not corrupt, it's just as corrupt as Russia. Yeah, and Russia's pretty corrupt. I mean, you <laughs> the, the neighbouring in the Transparency International's list of international list of basic corruption. You know, the next to Gabon and, and some states that you would just flatly say are just pretty corrupt. Mm. So, again, it's wishful thinking, Western Europeans, because they want Ukraine. They want Ukraine to be this, this, this flying the flag of European values. And, of course, Zelensky and everyone are wanting to bond. As I said at the start, it's, it, he's, he's in a war of national survival. He wants Western European help and he wants... I mean, he as an individual, for all I know, might well have these values, but his country 
is more bears more similar similarity to Russia than it does yeah. to Holland. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I, I I think you've got to acknowledge that you've got to acknowledge the complexity, and, and so you don't know, and you also you don't know about how long this will take. I think I I suspect Russia won't get control because of the resistance just that you hear about among Ukrainians, they've got their own state. We're nation state Democrats. We, we believe in self-determination. You've got to support them. You, yeah. you know, they, they, they have a state. It doesn't matter that it's quite a new state. It's a state and they will fight for it. And, and that's, that's the problem. I, as to Putin falling, I think if you, you know, if you accept what the people that live there and the people that, you know, observe it. I think there's every chance he has control of it. He, he pretty pretty much has control of it. So again, wishful thinking. You might wish someone takes him out and it all changes, but I can't see that happening. But I don't know. No, that's that's obviously the sort of the precursor to everything around most discussions around this. Just just on the point of wishful thinking. I mean, I, we've this is it's nothing new, especially in this country, and I think we've seen it really exaggerated in recent years with Brexit um, on both sides. So we, we, we saw over exaggerations of, of the damage that we might see among Brexiteers, even when things haven't gone well. I mean, a number of the agreements we've signed up to um, because we've been led by a government that didn't believe in, in, in the thing it was pushing for have been pretty disastrous. But we've, we've always said, well, it'll, we'll trigger Article 16, it'll all be all right, or we'll We'll, uh, we'll pull this mechanism or that mechanism. I think we do this all the time. Um, and I, I almost feel the same sort of mood or the same approach has been pulled across to what's happening now. But of course, mm. the difference is that with Brexit, the, um, the consequence, fine, you have, you have worsening trade relations, say, and, and you have some businesses struggling. Uh, but in, in this case, where we, we carry on pushing forward and, and, and doubling down and refusing to negotiate on either side, uh, the, consequence, mm. the consequence isn't just worsening trade, it's, it's people dying in, in large yeah. numbers as well, potentially. So it, yeah. it, it, is, it is quite worrying that, that we have seen the, the same approach come forward, especially as we said earlier, after years of saying we won't make this mistake again, following Iraq and Syria and Libya, and, and most recently with COVID. Um, but, but then that, that doesn't appear to have, have changed. Very yeah, much. I, I, think what, I think what's happening is that it depend, always depends how the basic debate is framed. Hmm. So the public debate, you know, what, 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 what passes for public debate or contestation, it depends how it's framed. And it's the assumptions that, that, uh, that lie underneath all of these things. So you, you mentioned Brexit, for instance. Now, I, we, we were in an odd situation um, as, 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 as being part of the Lexit sort of constituency, you know, the five million people that voted for Brexit who were on the left hmm. economically. Um, we, so I, I found it, I find it odd that we, I used to, I'd do the odd interview and they'd say, well, we can't get the trade deals. And I said, I don't want the trade deals. Yeah. I don't want them. I want, I want more trade friction because I want to reindustrialize. Now I don't believe that 30 years of economic indifference and, and globalism has been good for the country. So no. the whole premise, the whole premise was wrong in my opinion. People say you can't get a trade deal with the United States. And I think for heaven's sake, you don't want one. I mean, why would you, you've got a trade surplus with that country. Why on earth would you disrupt that? 
why would what 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 on earth would you do that for um i think that's crazy but that but you get my point so i i you know even the terms that were being used the the framing of the entire discussion um and and in relation to this the framing of the entire discussion on no fly zones or is still is still uh, bound it's connected it's hooked on a on a sort of you know i don't know what you call it i don't like to use the term a sort of it's a colonial or paternalistic or attitude that in the west of when are we going in it's ours to sort out yep. and actually no um a lot of problems in the world aren't ours to sort out no and it's time we realize that and mm. uh, maybe maybe sometimes when bad things happen silver linings are that you you get a reset and your 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 mind your your mindset changes and you say well actually no it's just not for us to do that now i'd be perfectly comfortable for britain to take a more uh domestically focused attitude not you know on lots of things i mean you know we're giving giving lots of foreign aid to pakistan pakistan mm. is is just done a deal to take Russian wheat, uh, you know, is that sensible? I mean, it doesn't seem very sensible to me. No. Well, I think it's your it's your point earlier, isn't it? Where, as you say, the 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 initial response is we should do something. That sort of presupposed before anybody talks about Russia Ukraine, they go into the conversation, uh, or at least the the narrative is at the very beginning, we are going to do something. So let's now discuss what that something is. Um, whereas your point earlier was that in order to not um, well, in order to de-escalate the situation, you must not make it worse. Not make it worse in the first place. So, doing something like what you just suggested—actually taking a more domestic approach and recognizing this isn't necessarily our fight—is is perhaps a good starting point. Um, yeah. Well, I say a starting yeah, no. point. We're now deep into this. But... Yeah, but but to acknowledge, but also to acknowledge that you're—it's not within your—it's to acknowledge the limits. That's mm -hmm. the point. To, yep. to not to acknowledge them and also the state the way these states the history of our thinking is the way we're set up is to take responsibility you know your your the west has this sort of presumption that it's our i mean obviously there's two sides to this because the downside is you get all the all the atonement and the post-colonial guilt you're responsible for everyone's problems yep. uh, which is complete nonsense yep. uh, because the other side of the balance sheet is never you know western medicine technology transfers you know uh, freedom of thought and inquiry uh, you know freedom of association and the ideas people then defend those but they want to criticize the west for having a bad effect everywhere but oh, yeah. but also you know you kind of it both ways i mean i i think we need to develop into a situation where we acknowledge plainly that you, you, it simply isn't you know britain's responsibility to sort out all of these problems and i i think it's you you can you can do pretty much what we were doing which is again why it was very boring in the interviews i did this week which was to say that on no fly zones stoltenberg johnson and biden have got it broadly right yeah and and they've got the policy of support broadly right and that you you know so you you you've You've supplied the Ukrainians with lots of weapons over the years, and you continue to do so if you can. For as long as there's a Ukrainian government, which may, you know, a month later, Michael, that might not be there, but yeah, for as long as Zelensky is there, you could you could help him that way. Um, sending food actually is becoming increasingly important. Um, yeah. uh, you know, and then and then help if you can with the refugee crisis. But that's those are the sort of limits to it. You're trying to solve out the geopolitical problem 
is is a challenge. But as I say, I don't, I don't want it's a tremendously unpopular thing to say, but I think I honestly think that you know, I, I think the Ukrainians are, are paying the ultimate price. Some of them for for the just us just making part playing a game of making this jurisdiction a contested jurisdiction. Yeah, and you thought you know you thought the Russians would just accept it. Well, if it was always a fact that they wouldn't just accept it, then trying to get Ukraine to be a, a member of NATO and the EU was was actually always quite a risky policy. Hmm. No, it's quite right, and it's 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 quite dispiriting actually to to see these things come out after the fact, after the invasion has started, to hear about the the officials who for for decades actually, rather than years, have been have been warning about this. Um, who, of course, are now branded straight away as Putin appeasers, um, yeah. as 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 justifying what has happened. But the important point is that it's not it's not to justify events; it's simply to understand them. Because without understanding them or or attempting to understand them at the yeah. moment, there's no way yeah. you're coming out of it, or at least not in a not in any. Um, I wouldn't say positive because I think there's no such thing as a positive end now with the fact so many have already died. But the the most positive scenario, I should say. Um, yeah, I, and I, but I think again, I think you need to be you need to be sufficiently flexible to understand and you know, have some degree of self analysis in this. The West, the degree of Western exceptionalism, is astonishing in some of the reporting. I mean, it doesn't, you know, cluster bombs apparently have been used and there's evidence for that and then immediately rightly uh people are calling for uh those responsible to to be subject to the international criminal court fine by me fine by me they should they should find out who's responsible yeah um but the what you know the, the number of people who are calling for that in relation to iraq was more limited because the establishment a lot of the western establishment was in it up to its neck in mm. iraq and um, you know, uh, before the invasion itself, they were trying to assassinate Saddam Hussein, and there was an incident in Baghdad when a, a, a guided missile went into a crowded restaurant. There was about eighty people killed. Yeah, um, a war crime, probably, in my yeah. view. Uh, yeah. But you know, so you, you know, an exceptionalism. You have to, you have to be honest. Uh, the Monroe Doctrine, it, which has been an American idea for several decades. Yeah. You can't, you, can, you know, the, the, anything that affects <clears throat> or is likely to affect uh, America's security in its hemisphere will not be tolerated. And that's the Cuban Missile Crisis or any other event in its backyard, Belize or anything else. Now that's, you know, that's fine for the, for the Americans. That's fine, they, they, they're, they're a great power. That's what great powers do. Um, but uh, but the Russians apparently can't are not allowed to have that view, so yeah. they can't. You know, see, the Russia is a declining great power mm. that wants to reassert itself. I think, um, yeah. and it doesn't occur to Western policymakers that actually, if you listen to Putin, he said this all along. He said that he won't tolerate it, yeah. and then it then it ends up, you know, that, that he's done. Shot. Yeah, yeah, he's done the ultimate thing, and he's, you know, so I'm, you know, but I, I, and you know, I think he's an appalling uh, leader, and what he's doing is utterly reprehensible. But um, Western policy is is connected to where we've got to, obviously. Yeah, no, I think that's quite right. Well, I said at the beginning, I think we'll um, 
would um call time there if that's okay we said at the beginning yeah. we'd likely stick to one subject and that's come true it's sort of inevitable isn't it given given there's so much to touch on it's not just i mean we, we call this the week in review it's not just talking about events that are going on but it's it's actually about all the things which have led up to this and sort of the wider the wider narrative which as you say shapes how we discuss it so it's i'm pleased that yeah, it's, we have done it in this it's certainly hefty enough i think there's only one aspect of things which um which I think one, 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 one sort of issue which isn't being dealt with or talked about sufficiently, which is, again, it, the, the, in the West, we've talked about what are we doing in terms of sanctions, and we will decide how those, those play out. And I'm, I'm staggered by, and I, believe me, mark my word, I'm saying it now, um, the capacity for retaliatory sanctions on, on wheat, potash, fertilizer, and gas, and, and oil, don't seem to have occurred to EU policymakers and Western policymakers. No. I, 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 I wish there'd been more analysis and thought about that because uh, it isn't it isn't one it isn't a one way street. It's it's um, potentially very. You have a eurozone which is full of countries that are breaching the Growth and Stability Pact, uh, target two obligations into banking, target two obligations between say two states like. Germany and Italy are running into hundreds of billions that will never be repaid. And if if gas was cut off, mm. um, you're in you're into another euro crisis. Yeah. So the potential of that is very. And we're not talking about it, but now I've put it on the line. People will think it about on. it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Well, of course, it's not just the it's not just the sanctions that could be returned our way. It's also the impact of the sanctions that we ourselves put in place against Russia. Which we, yes. which we don't consider the impacts on ourselves of. Um, or, or globally. I mean, the, yeah, there are yeah. a billion people on the planet who are <laughs> vulnerable to, you know, to hunger. And um, if you disrupt the flow of fertilizer and, and, and a basic food stuff like wheat, or if wheat production in Ukraine collapses, which it probably will, um, people will starve. People, it's a bit like COVID, Michael. People, you know, we, we argued about face masks while, you know, the economic damage from pa the pandemic fall in, in economic activity was catastrophic in, in the developing world, but we hardly talked about it. No, almost not at all. No, it's quite right. I'm glad you brought that up at the end. Um, well, thanks again, William. It's been a pleasure. Great to speak to you. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll be joining you again next week then. Cheers. Take care.